Come on, let's go ahead and stand our feet this morning as we worship the Lord together. serving awesome God. Amen. Hey, we're so glad you're here, and it's so awesome when we get to come together and worship with God's people. Amen. So as we continue to worship this morning, I just encourage you and invite you 
to engage God this morning. Let your heart connect with the heart of the Father because he wants to love on you. So you love on him this morning. Amen.
your name Jesus
that, God. And we thank you that at your altar, there's fullness of joy. At your altar, Lord, anything we have need of, we can find it here in your presence. We're going to take a time in the middle of our worship to pray with you about any need that you have. We're going to bring up our prayer team. And if you're sick in your body, if you are needing a touch from God, we want to pray with you. But as I was reading this last week, Proverbs 31:25 stood out at me. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she lasts without fear of the future. And this is what the Lord told me to tell you. You can clothe yourself every day with strength and dignity. What is dignity? Knowing that God is on his throne, that God is for us who can be against us, that God has our future in his hands, and we don't have to be afraid. So if you are struggling with an issue in your life this week with fear, we want to pray with you today that you will be clothed with strength and dignity to be able to laugh without fear of your future. So I'm calling my ministry team down front, our prayer team, and I ask you, come to the altar. Miracles will take place to do today when we agree together in prayer. Jesus, we worship you. Don't come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood. Sing that again, oh come, oh come. Oh come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of And no water Savior Isn't he wonderful Sing hallelujah Christ is risen Bow down before You're worthy, Lord. Lord, we love you, Jesus. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives.
Come on, if you know what, sing it when we say, Lord. And because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Oh, Lord, because He lives. Oh, fear is good. of you, Lord. It's all because of you. Broken and lost, you found me. The word had been my way, you healed my life. I'm cold as a child and righteous you broke the power of sin and freed my heart and you saved me and I will be everything to you this morning, God. We thank you, Lord. He's a good God. Amen. Come on, go ahead and give him a hand clap of praise. He's worthy. We bless your name, Jesus. Why don't you turn around to two or three people this morning, tell them I have you all to see them in God's house. And I will love you, God. And I will stand and worship. 
Welcome to Church on the Rock. We're so happy you're here worshiping with us today. In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you are a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you will receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. so glad you're here and we hope you know that there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. Our new ministry guides are in and life groups begin February 3rd. They will be meeting all over the city with a variety of groups ranging from carpentry to crochet, you can find the group that is perfect for you. What would happen if the people of God started handling money God's ways? You work too hard to get to the end of your life and have nothing to show for it. This is my family's legacy that I'm talking about here. I've got to have a plan and be focused. That knowledge that you pass down to your kids, that is how you change a family tree. You change your life when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you have that moment where you say, I've had it. I'm not going to live like this anymore. I want you to know you were created by love to love. You were created by one to be one. That's who you are. It's not the lucky few that succeed in marriage. All of us can succeed in marriage. Doesn't matter what your past is about, your future is about God. And anything is possible. If what we have found is in the good times and the bad times, God is greater than any issue that we'll ever face. You don't have a 50-50 chance. You have a 100% chance if you do it God's way. I've been there and I know how hopeless it feels. And in spite of us, he made something good out of it. He can do that with anybody. That's right. This is about helping us to have a better future and helping us to build a family that will last. Amen. That is this Friday and Saturday. Friday night at 7, Saturday morning at 9. Every marriage can be better. Amen. And if you're not married yet, I recommend you come so you can lay a good foundation for the spouse that God brings into your life. We have a baby dedication. Introduce your mommy and daddy. Well, we uh, brought the whole crew with us this morning. <laughs> yeah. This is my wife, Hannah Campbell, and, and this is our daughter who turned five months old today, but her name is Ava Marie Campbell. Amen. Thanks. 
No, she doesn't want you either. She wants me. <laughs> she works here at the church. She helped me at my desk the other day. She crumpled papers. <laughs> you know, baby dedication is really a family dedication. This child has no clue what's going on other than she likes me holding her. But yet one day she will. One day she'll make her own choices and decisions. One day she'll decide right from wrong. And the greatest influence won't be her Sunday school teacher. It won't be me. It'll be you. And it's a great privilege, responsibility, and honor to raise a child. You don't have to be afraid if you're, as Christians, raising, children, raising kids in a world that's kind of crazy. Because God watches over us. The Bible says for little Ava that God knew all the days of her life and they're written in a book before one day came to pass. So how many know if God has, has mapped out a future, all we have to do is say yes to him. So today, Lord, we simply want to, as we commit this little girl to you, Lord, we thank you that her future can be bright because of the love of her father. We thank you for a godly mom and dad, a godly grandparents and cousins and uncles and aunts and cousins and everybody around her. But we just want to pray a blessing on this entire family. Lord, we ask you to keep from her, Lord, the maladies of childhood. We pray, Lord, no acts of violence she'd ever experience. We pray that you would shadow her in innocence and that she would raise, be raised and as a young girl, make steps to Christ. We bless her today. Let there always be food on the table and love in their home. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. She, wait, she said something else. She said, I'm her favorite pastor, and she wants to go home with me. So, I'm going to take her. Well, amen. Amen. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. All right. Well, hey, we're, uh, we're excited that you're here. I just have a couple quick announcements for you. Um, during second service, if, you, if you've ever paid attention, usually right during uh, offering, we have a, a slide that comes up that says velocity is dismissed. And this is something for our seventh and eighth graders. Uh, so here in just a few moments, we're actually going to do that, but we're adding sixth grade to it. So if you have any sixth graders, uh, we want to encourage you to bring them. But we're not only doing it in this service, we're also doing it Saturday nights as well. So if you've been to this service before and you know it's kind of it's crowded, there's a lot of people here, man, we want to encourage you to come on Saturday night. If you have sixth through eighth grade uh, students. Also, if you'll look in the seat back in front of you, we have a fresh Bible reading guide. And uh, this is something that's really cool. You can grab it. You can use it as a bookmark in your Bible. And it's just reading two chapters every day. You can read along with us, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. So we encourage you to grab that. And lastly, there's a red card. It's also in the seat back in front of you. And every week, we send out just a couple texts, uh, just really to everybody in our, in our church that's filled out one of these cards. And this gives us an opportunity to keep you informed about what's going on. If there's bad weather, we can send you a text and let you know, you know, services might change. Um, we, we might inform you about what series we're, we're going in. And, uh, but anyway, if you are not receiving those text messages, we want to encourage you to grab that, fill it out, and you can drop it in the offering bucket, and we'll make sure that we get you all the information you need. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 510. It'll also be on the screen. Oh, did you all notice this jersey I'm wearing? My favorite all-time punter's jersey. Actually, this is a first First edition. Y'all recognize this guy up here? It was Jersey Sunday, and so he said, wear my old jersey. And he said, but put my picture up so that I know who, who it came from. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, 
Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people that have a lot of money that aren't happy. And I travel around the world to a lot of really, really, really poor people that don't even know if they'll have food on their table to feed their kids that are happy. What makes us happy? It's not money. It's having that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And then can I tell you the secret to happiness? Being a giver. Giving of yourself to others. You may not have much to give, but Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. True happiness comes when we are a giver of ourselves to others. When we can bless someone else, when we can put a smile on their face, and when we can share what we have with others. And I want to encourage you, be a giver. Excel, Corinthians. Paul said to the Corinthians, excel in the grace of giving. Because when we do, that's when we'll be truly happy because we're giving of ourselves to others. And we're doing it as unto the Lord. And he said he will bless us and take care of us. Let me pray for you. Lord, I bless this congregation, and I thank you. We have givers here, and I thank you, Lord, that every home will be filled with your joy and with your happiness as we give ourselves to others, give of ourselves, of our time and our talent and our, our, and our resources, and I bless them in the name of Jesus. I just wanted to mention to you, in the foyer, we have chili to go for your, your Super Bowl Sunday and pick some up and help support our Thailand team. And also, we, out of your giving, just sent a check for $5,000 to India to buy Bibles in 10 different languages and to buy a rickshaw for the Bible school there. And that's because of your faithful giving. Thank you so much. And when I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, and how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, how He healed me. To the uttermost, and when I think about the Lord, how He picked me up, how He turned me around, how He set my feet on solid ground, you know it makes me wanna shout, Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus, Lord, You're worthy of all the honor, all the glory, all the praise. Oh, it makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, Lord, you were me, all the honor, all the glory, all the praise, oh, you make me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, Lord, you were me, all the honor, all the glory, all the praise. Come on, if you believe that, give him a big hand today. Jesus is worthy. Hey, why don't you greet your neighbor? Tell him you are really glad they're here this morning. And then we're going to Matthew chapter 23. Well, good morning, everyone. 
We are starting a series today, Matthew 23, and it's called What's Inside? And it's a series about character. It's a series about values, about what goes on inside eternally, uh, internally, affecting the decisions that we make. In Matthew 23, Jesus said these words, and he talked to us about our inside world. And I don't mean just the beating of our heart, but I'm talking about in our soul, our mind, our thoughts, what produces the actions that other people see. He said, uh, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you're hypocrites. Now, I would imagine today that any Christian, any religious person could be just as guilty. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, it's not enough just to go to church. It's not enough just to have a Bible or say religious things or do religious ceremony. But Jesus said, there's something inside your heart that's going on that I'm concerned about. He said, you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're filthy. He's talking about our heart. And listen, he'll say it four times. He said, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. But these Pharisees would make sure that they looked proper on the outside, their dress was appropriate, they had the right Bible, they said the right things on Facebook. But Well, not Facebook of their, our day, but of their day. He said, you're blind. If you'll first clean the inside of the cup, your heart, your soul, what, what makes you the person you are, and then the outside will become clean as well. But you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. So he's talking to these people that look great, but yet he said greed, self-indulgence, hypocrisy, lawlessness, all this stuff goes inside of them. Well, collectively, I'm calling this inner world our character. It's our values. Character, by definition, means our ethics, our, our moral principles that guide us. And how many know character can be good or bad? I can be lazy or a hard worker. How many know that stems from my character? Uh, how many know I can be kind or I can be mean? That stems from my character. I can be honest or I can lie. That comes from my character, see? And this is what we're going to talk about in this series. And each week what we're going to do is we're going to look at two contrasts. For example, this morning we're going to contrast integrity and deception. Integrity is a broad word having to do with honesty and being trustworthy, being dependable. Uh, uh, deceptiveness has to do with tricking people to get our way, lying, stealing, cheating, uh, uh, all sorts of things that stem from our hearts. We'll contrast the two, and obviously we'll see the, more, the righteous one, the right one, is the one that the Bible teaches about godly character. So this morning's message, I've entitled it Integrity or Deception, and let's get into the Bible together. As we do that, we're going to begin in Genesis 27, look at an Old Testament passage through by a man named Jacob. Now, Jacob was what's called one of the patriarchs. He was one of the uh, Israelite church fathers. His legacy was Abraham, then Isaac was his dad, the chosen one, and then Isaac had two kids, Esau and Jacob. And we're going to see his story about deception, and then we're going to flip the coin. In the second half of the message, we'll look at three Old Testament examples, very short passages that all illustrate integrity and God's favor and blessing on that. But the way we're going to start the message is I want to show you a quick video clip from a movie called The Emperor's Club. 
And this is about a student that's graduated from a prestigious college, and he and his uh, professor are having a conversation. The student's ready to launch his career, and he's going into politics. So take a peek and see not only two men, but see two men that have a different value system at work within their hearts. Everything all right? Yes, I'm fine. Yeah, you don't, you don't look so fine. I'm all right. Thank you. <laughs> hurry up and come join the celebration. How long have you been hard of hearing, Sedgwick? Uh, very good, Mr. Honored, very. Very good, yeah. Well, I thought you might have known. Who was the poor mercenary who was feeding you the answers? Oh, just some graduate student gave him a couple hundred bucks and a warm meal. Trust to keep this between us. As always. I trust you will. You mean, am I going to go out there and expose you for a liar and a cheat? No. I'm a teacher, Cedric. I failed you as a teacher. But I will give you one last lecture, if I may. All of us, at some point, are forced to look at ourselves in the mirror and see who we really are. And when that day comes for you, Sedgwick, you will be confronted with the life lived without virtue, without principle. And for that, I pity you. End of lesson. What can I say, Mr. Honored? Who gives it? Honestly, who out there gives it? About your principles and your virtues. I mean, look at you. What do you have to show for yourself? I live in the real world where people do what they need to do to get what they want. And if it's lying and it's cheating, then so be it. So I am going to go out there and I am going to win that election, Mr. Hundred. And you will see me everywhere. And I'll worry about my contribution later. Robert. Robert. We'll talk about his son later. But he embodies the American ethic of the end justifies the means. Whatever I have to do. Remember what he said? I live in the real world where people, don't, where people do what they need to do to get what they want. And if lying and cheating are involved, so be it. That's the modern American ethic. We see it all around us. It's in our work environments. It's on our entertainment. Uh, many of our teachers even embody the same principle or teach the same thing. And not only did they live in different worlds, but they, those two men had a different value system. One value system was 
though we don't know anything about the man's religious past, it was more reflective of traditional America. And America, traditional America was built on a biblical ethic. It was built on Western civilization. It was built arguably on the teachings of Jesus. Uh, and it's not just what we do as religious people, that we go to church, we read our Bible, we, we give money, we do these things, but it's our heart, it's our values, it's our character. And this is what we're going to focus on because there's two diametric opposites in the different issues that we'll speak about. This morning we're going to start with deception. And as I talk about deception, I want to talk about a word group that includes lying and cheating, stealing, promise-breaking, extortion, fraud, dishonesty. We'll begin with Jacob, a guy in Genesis 27, and we'll see that what we see in America today as the norm is not just new to our day, but it's as old as the Bible. Jacob's story, his daddy Isaac is old and turning blind. Imagine he has cataracts and he can, can't even see the, his hand in front of his face. But he's old. He called for his son Esau. Now he had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the elder. He was the oldest son. And the oldest son in Jewish law was, 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 was to be given more in the inheritance. He had the birthright. He would be given one and a half times the, 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 the uh, material things, but he also carried the family legacy. He was to be in charge of the family. He, it was a great honor, but it was given by God, assuming that God was responsible for the, the birth of the firstborn. Uh, and Daddy told him, he said, I want you to go out in the open country and go hunting. Hunt some wild game for me. Go deer hunting with your bow and then prepare my favorite dish. And then I'm going to pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son. And notice what it said, the blessing that belongs to you. And deception always wants to take by some means what belongs to someone else. Uh, verse 5, his mother, Jacob, happened to be mom's favorite. And not only did Jacob... Uh, but but uh, Rebecca as well would violate God's commands, would violate character, would violate conscience because there was something they wanted to get. Rebecca overheard what Isaac said and said, Now my son Jacob, bring me two young goats. In other words, don't go hunting. Just go out in the barnyard and kill a goat and I'll cook it to prepare your father's favorite dish and then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. Mother and son are involved in a plot to defraud Esau. This word fraud, it means to deceive and to trick by lying or suppressing the truth. It's not godly character, it's worldly. It involves stealing. Stealing, of course, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. But that's exactly what Jacob is about to do. He's about to take some, something that doesn't belong to him. It belongs to someone else. And that's what a thief does. I looked at a website called Statistic Brain, and it said employees steal $50 billion a year from their employers. Now, whether that's embezzlement, whether it's money, whether it's working retail and, you know, stuffing a new summer shirt in your purse, whatever, $50 billion a year, that's lots of money, employees steal more than shoplifters. And they also said there's 27 million shoplifters every year in America. That's one in 12 of us as Americans. It says 75% of all employees have stolen at least once from the company. That's three out of every four people have stolen something from the company. And we justify it. I mean, we've probably all done something in our life we wish, wish we hadn't have done. We justify it because, you know, after all, they've got more than I do. 
my needs are greater than theirs. I've worked here. I, they're not paying me the money that I deserve. Uh, you know, you look at the corporate big wigs. They're riding in airplanes. They're driving big cars. But look at me. I have to ride share to go even to go to work. So therefore, it's okay. Or maybe it's because everybody else does it. Or maybe there's a culture at work, and it's just kind of assumed that we'll do this. It's assumed that we'll add two, three, four percent on the on the charges, so the commissions will be a little bit higher. We'll jack the price up a little bit because everybody does it. It's just the American way. When the financial bubble burst in, what was it, 2007, one of the main reasons is because funds that were across the world, hedge funds that would be owned by companies, uh, uh, by, by individual investors on the other side of the world, had to do with bad mortgages in America where they were just inflated and inflated and inflated and pushed to someone else and sold to someone, suggesting that it was a sound investment. It's deception through and through. Um, verse 11, let's continue the story and see how it unfolded in the Bible. And Jacob replied to Rebekah, or the son to mom, Well, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and my skin is smooth. His hair is real thick on his arm, and it comes out you know, from, from, from his shirt collar. So that's going to be a problem. Uh, what if my daddy touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him, and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. So then mom, rather than acknowledging the fact, she takes Esau's favorite clothes... She covers his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of a young goat. So if you can imagine, she took out her sewing needle. She sewed a little bit and how funny he must have looked. But, but daddy is, is blind and we're going to deceive him. We're going to do something. It's like a false ID today or filing a, a false insurance report or whatever the case is. But it's just a part of the fabric of America. It, it's how we tend to get ahead uh, let's see, verse 15, she took Esau's clothes, covered his arms. In verse 18, then Jacob and the son meet. He takes the food, and Daddy asks him a question, Esau or Jacob? And Jacob said, well, I'm Esau, your firstborn son. And here's the first thing what all deceivers do. When I have deceived someone, I have to lie. I have to, it has to come out sooner or later. If I fill out the form, if I apply for the benefits and someone comes to check on me and they call and say, so-and-so, do you earn between such and such a year? Yes. Because if I say no, I won't get the money. If I don't get the money, I can't make the car payment. And you know, you know how it goes. It's the world that we live in today, but we all have choices how we make. Deceivers lie to get what they want, but we're not aware that there's going to be consequences. Proverbs 12, it says, The Lord hates those who tell lies. Now, look, I would rather much rather quote John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, come on, that he gave his son. And God's a loving God, and he loves me. And he does love us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. But the Bible says that God's not too fond of those that lies. A false witness will not go unpunished. A liar will be destroyed. Now, that's whether I'm a Christian or whether I'm not a Christian. Uh, lying is epidemic in our culture. According to the website Mental Floss, 60% of adults can't have a 10-minute conversation without lying at least once. Six out of ten of us can't talk 10 minutes without stretching the truth. 40% um, of the people lie on their resumes. And how about this? How many single people here? Let me see your hand here. Yeah, okay. You're just a little leery to see if the preacher's going to call on you or not. Uh, I want to ask this, but if you have applied to a dating site, now if you're married, how many know you're just lying when you get on the site? But statistics say 
that I listen, if I wasn't married, I'd probably be one on, on one too. But 90% of the people lie about themselves on the site. It's part of our culture. It's the world, we, and we think we can just get away with it. Did you see the movie uh, Leonardo DiCaprio? It was called Catch Me If You Can. That's a cool movie. Tom Hanks was in it. He's a great actor. And, and, and he starts as a young boy in a problem. Because how many know most of us don't lie until there's a problem or until there's a need that we have? For example, tax time is right around the corner here. And, you know, the chances of getting audited are less and less unless you have so much money. So after all, everybody does it. But this guy, his parents got divorced. He ran away from home. He didn't have any money, but he had a blank checkbook with no money in it. And he learned the art of passing checks. He learned how to lie. He learned how to give gifts to the girl that was behind the, the, behind the, the bank teller. And he just continued to get better at it until he started. He faked like he was an airline pilot. And he learned how to cash checks through Pan Am. And before you know it, he's cashing $500 checks, $1,000 checks. He's going all around the world. But Tom Hanks, the little dirty FBI guy, is right behind him. And he just can't seem to get away. And everywhere he goes, Tom Hanks just seems to get him because now he's got a lifestyle built on lying and he can't, he's got to have the money and he knows he's going to get caught one day. So he just goes faster and faster. And that's exactly how it works. Verse 20, Isaac said, how'd you find it so quickly, my son? And listen to what he said. He said, the Lord your God put it in my path. Now, notice God is not his God. It's daddy's God. Have you ever found yourself in a crack, you know, in the corner and can't get out? And then you said, I swear to God, I didn't do it. How many have teenagers? I swear, Mom, the car broke. I swear we went out of gas last night. I swear. And somehow by swearing, we reinforce it. This is the nature God got involved. Isaac said to Jacob, come a little closer so I can touch you and make sure you're really Esau. Here's the test. We're in the lawyer's office. We're before the judge, the IRS agents across the table. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's. Are you really my son Esau? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you lie once, you got to lie twice. And before you know it, the lie can become a rabbit. My problem is I'm getting old, and I can't remember what I said sometimes. <laughs> so if, <laughs> if you just tell the truth, you don't, you don't have to remember. Uh, but, but what is he doing? He's cheating. Proverbs 22, 28 says, don't cheat your neighbor. And to cheat means to deceive, to trick, to get an advantage. My son-in-law was going to buy a vehicle, and he went to Dallas, and he talked to the guy on the phone, and the salesman, you know, he saw it on the Internet. It looked great. How many know it always looks great on the Internet? It looked great. The guy told him it was great. Drive 175 miles and buy this car. But there were a lot of things he forgot to tell him. He forgot to tell him it had hail damage all over it. Maybe it was because he didn't ask. I don't know, but all I know is the car salesman knew that if he could get somebody coming on the lot, he had a better chance of making some money. So a little deception. You say, well, you know, didn't you study in business school? Caveat, I'm tour. Let the buyer beware. Yeah, well, the Christian operates by a different set of values. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 25, all who cheat are detestable to the Lord. Jacob was guided by situation ethics. It's the ethic of America. It's just like the guy on the video. Whatever you have to say, whatever you have to do to get what you want, that's what is acceptable. 
We see this unfolding in politics. You and I are going to go get, get so sick of polit politics and presidential elections between now and November. And what the politicians do, many of them do, is they take polls to see what the people want and then they say it no matter what they feel or what they're planning on doing. Because the election is the most important thing. The result of the whole deal, of course, um, uh, Jacob, guided by situation ethics, said what he had to say. But how many know there's always a consequence? The little boy that was in the bathroom stall listening to daddy. Isaac gave Jacob the blessing, but the brother hated him and wanted to kill him, so he ran away from home. See, when we lie to get something, when we steal, when we cheat, when we extort money, we always have to be looking over our shoulder. We always have to set the alarm. We always have to have the gun in our back pocket because the person that we took advantage of could be right there. The sin of deception is never as sweet as it promises to be. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 8, it's better to be poor and right than be wealthy and dishonest. Let me say it again. It's better to be poor and right, have a good conscience, uh, sleep with peace at night, than be wealthy and dishonest. But the great news is God didn't give up on Jacob any more than he's given up on us. I can tell you little stories about my own life of things that I did in my old world that I'm ashamed of, but I'm more ashamed of things that I've done in my adult world. Come on, when I knew better. Are you with me today? You said, boy, I hope he tells us. I know that your struggle is gossip, and I am not going to repeat that. Now, let's flip the coin just a second. Integrity. Integrity means to be honest, to be truthful, to be trustworthy, to keep our word. And let me give you three quick Old Testament exa examples. 2 Kings 12, and here's a lesson. People trust honest men. People trust honest men, honest women, honest children. Uh, here, uh, what's happened is the temple has become in disrepair and people are giving money towards it. The priest that guarded the entrance of the temple put all the people's contributions into a chest, a wooden chest. And listen to verse 11. They gave the money to the construction supervisors who used it to pay the people working on the Lord's temple. Now, we do the same thing today. But look at verse 15. No accounting of this money was required from the construction supervisors because they were... What does that mean? That means they took that box of money and they said, here, fix it, and didn't ask a question. Now, let me ask you a question. How many would like to remodel your house now? If I were to say, I got $25,000, you know, remodel your house. How many would like to do some remodeling? Come on, new bathroom, new kitchen. Uh, yeah, okay, those of you, I didn't get on that one. How many would like a bass boat? You know, bass season's right around the corner. All right, all right, all right. $25,000. But I want you to imagine, let's go back to the house. Can you imagine you getting uh, $25,000 in cash and going up to your contractor and say, listen, don't worry about it. It's the master bathroom, so we're just going to be out of the house for the next uh, 60 days. We're going to go over the, out of town to see the in-laws and have big time. Take this $25,000 and make it look good. No, we live in a world today where we have contracts because our contract has to be better than your contract. So if I want out of my contract that your contract bound me to, I can have a loophole because my attorney's smarter than your attorney so I can get out of it if I want to do that. We have contracts. We have, we have video cameras. We have surveillance systems. We have auditors. And then we have people that audit the auditors. We have people that look over the inspector generals, you know, to watch over them to make sure that they're making sure that the Congress and the people in the government are being honest. And we do all that because in a very simple nutshell, we as American people 
are not honest. We do that because it's a part of our culture today. But this scripture encouraged all of us to be an honest person no matter what anybody else does. This, this scripture encourages us to be someone that's trustworthy, someone that keeps their word, someone that does what they say they'll do. How many know I'd rather have character like that than the other way? I would, rather, I, would, I, would, I would rather have character like people of my grandfather's day that if they told you that they were going to dig a pit for the, for the silo or whatever the case is or build a barn and they quoted you a price of $5,000 and they shook your hand, they would build it for $5,000. Come on, whether it cost them $5,500 or not, but they gave their word and my word is my bond and it's this that my integrity, my character and reputation are built on. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Let me give you another one. Moses. Now, God told Moses to choose men of integrity to lead the nation. Now, in, in the Bible era, Old and New Testament, they didn't vote like we vote today in political elections. But this is a great principle because Moses now, he's in the wilderness. He's got a million and a half people, and he's the only leader. And here's what God told Moses to look for in a leader. He said, you need to keep a sharp eye out for competent men. And we all understand competence. Competence is on the resume. It's the highest degree we attained. It's the places that we worked. It's the projects that we completed. It's the skill set that we have. We understand competence, but listen to what the Bible described as these competent men. They feared God, and they were men of integrity. integrity. They were men who were incorruptible. Point them as leaders. Now, to be incorruptible means you can't be bribed or morally corrupted. To have integrity means that I'm upright and honest. I, I adhere to my moral values. Jesus called it purity of heart. Now, this idea that a leader was to be incorruptible, we see, it, we, we see corruption all across politics in every party. This headline caught my attention the other day after Iowa caucuses were held. Uh, a couple days after that, the Des Moines Register, which is I think the main newspaper there, the editorial says something smells in the Democrat Party. So here's the deal. In a caucus, all the people get together. And let's, I guess a caucus is around a county or a precinct. And they talk about who they're going to elect. In this case, it was Mr. Sanders and Ms. Clinton. And they couldn't agree, so they flipped a coin so that they would have unity. And I think six or seven coin flips in six or seven different caucuses all flipped to Mrs. Clinton. And the odds of that were 1 in 64 or about 2%. How many know those are not too good odds? But the same thing is in the Republican Party. You listen to Trump talk about Rubio, and Rubio talk about Cruz, and Cruz talk about Christie. And before you know it, their campaigns, even if the guy at top may be ethical, somewhere down the line, it stinks. And this is what's wrong in America today is we kicked out God in the 60s. Time magazine said God is dead. The Supreme Court said you can't pray in school, take the commandments off the walls, and we didn't replace a biblical moral code that's guided Western civilization since the beginning. We didn't replace it anything. And even in today when teachers try to teach character counts, there's no consequences because if the color of my skin is such a way or my gender is such a way or my sexual orientation is such a way, it's no matter what I do, what actions I have, you can't judge me, come on, because I'm a victim of some subclass. And this is America today and has nothing to do with right and wrong behavior that stems from godly or worldly character. But how many know as a Christian, I can be different. I can tell the truth if everybody else is telling a lie. And if I've ever backed myself up in a corner, it's better for me to say 
I'm sorry I've done wrong. I have not been honest with you. Here's what really happened. Let, 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 me, let me give you one more. Nehemiah chapter 13. A good reputation is built on honesty and hard work. Now, in one of the messages, I'm going to talk about living responsibly. How many know you can be responsible or irresponsible in life? You can take care of yourself or have somebody else take care of you. That whole dynamic. We may talk about work in one of the messages, but in this particular case, Nehemiah, was, he, he was a believer, a Jew, and he went back to help the nation rebuild not only the wall that surrounded the city for protection, but those that were in charge of the storerooms and the assets and what was going on, they were, had become corrupt. They were like the Pharisees. So he goes back, he sets the house in order, and he puts some more people in charge. I mean, if you replace a corrupt person with a corrupt person, corruption's going to proceed just in a different flavor. But here's who he picked. He picked someone named Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and a Levite named Padiah, and he put them in charge of the storerooms. And here's why they were the supervisor. They had a reputation for honesty. Honesty, honesty and hard work. They were known by people, people that had known them a while, people that had watched them, people that had, people that had seen their lives. And they found that they were honest people. You see, our reputation is what people think about us, and it's based on our character over time. Proverbs 22.1 says, Being respected or a good reputation is more important than great riches. Now, look, I, I'm just like you, probably. I mean, I'd love to have some more money. If you have some excess money, give me some. I'll be happy to do something with it. But if I have to choose by being deceptive, fraudulent, breaking my word, tricking you to get more money, the Bible says in the end that's not worth it. It may be worth it the day you make the deal. It may be worth it the day you get the commission check. It may be worth it the first day your business opens. But somewhere down the road... The Bible says it's not going to be worth it. The Bible says you'll be better off in life if you choose the path of honesty, even though it may be a more difficult road. Initially, in the end, you'll be blessed. Yeah. To be well thought of, the Bible says, is better than silver or gold. And the way to be well thought of, the Bible says, is honesty. I mean, I want to show you a picture of someone here. Uh, put on the screen here. I don't know if you remember this man, a member of our church for a number of years. His name was Ike Osborne. Ike died a few days ago at his memorial service yesterday. He died in his early 80s. Uh, he was a very successful man, if you look at from material and business, extremely successful man. But what his legacy, or, or the most resounding part of his legacy, can't be quantified in dollars and cents. It can't be quantified by possession, whether it's land or whatever the case is. His, his lifestyle is more than just how many ducks or turkeys he killed. Come on. It's more than how many shoes were left in the closet. It's more than, you know, what kind of cars or vehicles I had. Here, here was his legacy. I went to see him, and he, he, he died a slower death. He had a pulmonary problem, couldn't breathe, and he became bedridden. Family had a chance to say goodbye. He's in his mid-80s. One of his grandchildren came by. I went to see him, served communion to he and his wife. And we're sitting in the room one day, and somehow the conversation came up. His grandson came to see him. And he said, my grandson told me, he said, Grandpa, when I grow up, I want to be like you. And he, he's not, he was not saying, I want to be six foot four. What he was saying is, I want to be a successful person that was known as an honest, 
dependable, trustworthy man that kept my word and cared for people. And can I tell you, friend, it's the greatest legacy we can leave. If you leave material goods, they could be gambled away in a day, or they could be lost in a season. But a legacy of integrity will last a lifetime. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. I'm going to close with this scripture and story, and then we'll pray. It's Psalm 18. The Bible teaches us that God will reward godly character. You may be sitting here and saying, well, you're not in the real world, preacher. I am in the real world. I pay bills just like you do. I pay church bills just like you do. I talk to vendors and contractors just like you do. Here's what the Bible says is a promise. The Lord rewarded me, Psalm 18, 24. And let's all say this out loud. The Lord rewarded me. See, out loud is louder than a whisper. The Lord rewarded me because I did what was right. Let's say it again. The Lord rewarded me because I did what was right. Now, as a Christian, I don't want to just believe the right things. I want to do the right things. And when I do the right things, it comes from character. Come on, that's built on integrity. I'll close with this story. Did you see the movie Courageous? It was a film produced by a Christian company, a great film. It was about a policeman. It was about corruption in the police department and choices this group of men made about their marriage, their family, their workplace. But there was also kind of a sidebar story, and it was about this uh, Hispanic immigrant. And here was a guy. He's hustling on two jobs. He works construction on the side. But his main job seemed to be some kind of factory worker. Now, I guess he was in production, uh, and he'd been there a number of years, and they were looking for a supervisor over shipping and receiving. And he was number seven to be interviewed, and they brought him in the office, and the owner, just as stern as he could be, and you could tell it was a fairly large company, but the owner, you know, he wasn't a manager, he was the owner. His blood, sweat, and tears had built that company. And this man sitting across the table, and he said, I'm considering you for supervisory position. It'll mean more pay, more responsibility, benefits. And he perked up. He said, but I need to know something from you. He said, there may come a time when... I need to ask you to make some changes on paperwork. He said, sometimes the economy gets off. Sometimes there's troubles, there's difficulties, and paperwork may come through that says we received 100 of this particular item. I'm going to need you to change that to make it 80. Now, we don't do this all the time, understand, but you understand the pressures of health care. You understand that sometimes the economy goes down, competition starts, and sometimes we just can't make it, and all of us need to keep our jobs, and Sometimes I'll need you to change that number. Sometimes when you're sending things out, uh, there's particular companies that don't count very well, and, and, and they're doing better than we are. They're highly successful. They're listed on the stock exchange, and I, I just happen to know that they're well off. And sometimes I may need you, when we send 50, I may need you to say we sent 500. Can, can you do that? He said, I want you to take the date and think about it, and I want to talk to you in the morning. We'll discuss this further. So he goes home. He's a Christian, and he's talking to his wife, and his wife, obviously concerned, you know, we've got to have the money. We've got two kids, and, and she had to be home with the children, and if you, don't, if you lose your job, I don't know what we're going to do. So he goes to work with this pressure, and he sits down from his boss the next day. Again, with his stern face, the boss looks at him and says, well, did you decide what you're going to do? Are you going to take this job? And this man, this immigrant, he, he dropped his head, and he said, I, I, I can't. He said, why not? 
He said, because you're asking me to do something that violates my conscience and that I don't believe is right. He said, I'm a Christian. And this is not the kind of thing God would have me do. And the man looked across the table and said, do you realize you could lose your job? He said, sir, I do. And at that time, it all changed. The owner got a smile on his face. And his partner across the room got a smile on their face. And he reaches his hand out. I think his name was Javier. He said, Javier, I want to congratulate you. You're the seventh person I had to interview to find one honest man. He said, I believe that I can trust you. You have this job and you have the benefits. Thanking, thank you for standing for what's right. And can I tell you, friends, that's the way the God that we serve, that's what he's like. You may not experience it every time. You may get fired if you're Javier a time or two in life. But can I tell you, somewhere down the road in this life and certainly in the one to come, there's a blessing that's going to follow you because God rewards those that are righteous and do what's right. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet today. And we want to close with a prayer. But I want you to just bow your head just a second. Because, you know, if I'm honest, I do my best to be an honest person. But I can look back on times of my life where I've done things that were not right. Every one of us have tax returns to fill out, expense reimbursements to fill out, insurance forms to apply. We apply for benefits. I mean, just the list. Every one of us, every day of our life. And I just wonder if the Holy Spirit might have put His finger on something today. Because, Lord, we want to say yes to you. Your desire is not to beat us up. Your desire is to get us on the right path as quick as we can. And I just think I, every person in this room joins me today to say, Lord, we want to have good character. We want to have a, a reputation that we can be proud of. If that's you, just slip your hands to heaven and say, Lord, would you help me? Would you help me be honest? Would you help me tell the truth even when it's hard? Even if I'm going to lose some money, would you help me keep my word? Would you help me do what's right? Because I want to have a reputation like Mr. Osborne did with his grandkids. People that not just knew him from a distance, but people that knew him up close. And said, I want to be like my granddaddy when I get big. Someone that's successful, but they've done it the right way, in a God-honoring way, with character, in Jesus' name. Let me close with an opportunity for personal prayer. I know there's always... In a message, there's always a sense of the Holy Spirit drawing and tugging. And maybe you're here today and you need a personal prayer. Maybe you need to talk to someone. Maybe, maybe something in this message resonated with you. Maybe God's asking you to do something that you know is going to be very hard. And you want to pray and ask the Lord to just give you help and grace to do it. That's what this prayer is for. We'll pray about anything, but particularly if it had to do with the message. But most importantly, we'd be delighted to pray with you today if, if your relationship with God is not where it needs to be. You know, yesterday we stood in that memorial service. And my friend, Mr. Osborne's life is over. He doesn't have a chance to go back and undo anything. You see, right now, there's only one or two paths. Either he'll stand before God as a man in his sins on Judgment Day, or he'll have a Savior standing by his side that's forgiven his sins. See, he had months before he died. He knew it. There's no guarantee for the rest of us. I wonder today, friend, if you die today, you're 100% sure if you'd go to heaven or not. If you need to make a step to get right with God today, I'm going to encourage you, when they begin to sing, I'm going to encourage you to just come over to the cross. 
and someone will meet you there and pray for you. So go ahead and sing our last song. Please be patient as people are coming. I'm going to ask our prayer team if they'll come around the altar. You need prayer, you come. But most importantly, if you want to commit your life to Christ, somebody will meet you at this altar. I love you. Thanks so much for being here today, and I hope your team wins. Take a minute and let us pray. It could be the biggest thing of the morning when God touches your heart. Let us not lift our souls to another. And oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face. Oh God, oh Jacob. And oh God, let us be a generation that seeks. Seek your face, oh God, oh Jacob. I pray, team, they're going to remain around front. Hey, they'll be happy to pray with you for anything that's going on in your life. And don't leave this place without letting somebody pray if you need it this morning. But if not, hey, feel free to be dismissed. And we look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. 